Good afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. The question on the table today is this. What type of person do you want your child to become? I think that is a a valid question for any parent. What type of person do you want your child to become? And uh, therefore, I think uh, that is a valid question that parents should ask of educators. Uh, What type of person do you want our children to become? That question posed to, to educators. What type of person? What type of person do you want to develop your students into? Uh, So we've been talking really the last several days on prayer in schools. Uh, This came up because Matt Gates a few weeks ago told a group of students, uh, high school, college age students, that he was going to propose a national uh, Protect Prayer in Schools Act. And uh, the applause he received was enormous. It was a standing ovation. Uh, High school-aged, college-age students were thrilled with this announcement that um, Matt Gates made. His bill is to provide for a cause of action to remedy prohibitions on personal prayer in schools. And that kind of just really spearheaded this this conversation about uh, prayer in schools and how there has been a prohibition on personal student prayer since the early 1960s. And it is, I have said that it is an, it's important that we, that we teach children to become a certain type of individual and that really true education is is an education that develops the student to become a pers- a certain type of person that is that to me is real education in my opinion um and schools are going to do that differently you know all schools are going to teach math they're going to teach english they're going to teach grammar and writing and science and and history some aren't teaching history very well, but they're all doing it. And at the same time, they're all teaching the student to become a certain type of person. To me, that is the heart of the matter. That is what what parents need to drill down into. I think the most important decision that a parent can make is your child's education. That's it, hands down. Because that's going to determine the type of person that child will be. And it's very easy for parents to, you know, to say, well, I'm going to raise them the way I I want them raised. You know, I want them to do a certain thing. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And you know, with we all have good intentions as as parents to um, to raise our kids and in the way that we want them raised. But I want you to 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 consider something: the, the school that they're in and the teacher that they're with. 
they will spend more time in that school and, and maybe with that particular teacher. Once they go to school, they will spend more time in that school and maybe with that particular teacher than they will spend at home with you. And at that point, as parents, we are losing our, our leverage in terms of training the children. You know, so Proverbs tells us to, to train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. You know, so as parents, we have a responsibility to train our kids in a particular way. Well, um, that really should coincide with the school that you have your child in. Because if you want to raise your child a particular way, if your child is in a school that is uh, not structured to raise them in your particular way, which way do you think is going to win out? That um, That's the question. And, I, and I'm going to say it's not your way. Your way is not going to win out. In his book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell explains why this is a thing. He talks about a study that was done with the Berlin's Elite Academy of Music. They took their violinists and put them in three groups. Uh, the first group was what they determined to be their best violinists. And the second group uh, was a, the group that they determined to be good. And then the third group uh, were the violinists who were there studying music. Uh, they wanted to eventually maybe teach violin at a public school, um, but they weren't considered good and they weren't considered the best or exceptional. Then they asked people in each group when they were young or throughout their entire career playing the violin, how many hours uh, have they practiced total? All three groups really began about the, about the same age, about five, and they all pretty much uh, from five to eight, practice right around maybe two, three hours a week. When they hit eight, the elite group or or the group that would be in the in the expert class began to outpace the other two groups in the amount of time that they practiced. And he goes on to talk about how um, they uh, he says here when they were nine, they were practicing six hours a week. By the time they got to 12, they were practicing eight hours a week. By the time they had hit 14, the age 14, they were practicing 16 hours a week. He said by the time they got to 20, they were practicing uh, purposefully with the intent of getting better at about 30 hours a week. He said total, from the time they began to... Uh, to the point that they were at in this test, they had totaled about 10,000 hours of practice time. By contrast, he says, the merely good students in the merely good group had totaled about 8,000 hours of practice time. And the future music teachers, he describes, totaled about 4,000 hours of practice time. And in this book, he's talking about the 10,000-hour mark almost as as being a magic number in terms of the number of hours 
you need to, to put into something in order to be really good at it. Also in that chapter, he talks about the Beatles and how in their early years when they were forming, they were just playing every single night at, at bars in, in Germany. And some nights he said they would play seven, eight hours, maybe more. And, and they would do this for days at a time. And they talked about this afterwards that they easily totaled more than 10,000 hours. And they credited that to, to the fact that that's why they were so good. They were so tight as a group. He says 10,000 hours is the amount of time really that you need to put into something to be really, really good at it. So let's let's consider that in terms of, of our students and schooling. You know, I, how many hours do you think your student will spend in a school or with a particular teacher? You know, if we just if we just did some some rounded numbers, and let's say your your child is in school seven hours a day, five days a week. Uh, let's say 180 days a year. Um, some quick math. Your child will spend 1,200 hours a year with uh, a particular person or in a particular building in a particular school system. If we say 13 years from kindergarten to 12th grade, that child will have spent 16,380 hours. And if we look at, at Malcolm Gladwell's numbers from his book, Outliers, you know, we can we can determine who's going to win out. Whose instruction do you think is going to win out? Do you think it will be your instruction or do you think it will be the school's instruction? Uh, I would say it's not going to be yours. You may have the best intentions. You may be the best parent. You may spend a lot of quality time with your child. But if your child is getting more time and more hours with somebody who is influential in their lives. I don't think that as parents, I don't think we are on the, the winning side of that bargain just based on the numbers. This is why, you know, I, I say to people the, the the best form of education is homeschool. And I, I run a private school, but you know, I, I just think that if you have if you have the opportunity, if you have the time and the temperament, those are really the two big things, the time and the temperament. You can determine what who you want your child to become, the type of person you want your child to be. That is that is in your your control. Now again, as as I've said, not every parent has the time or the temperament. Um, we're out there working and we're working hard. And, you know, a lot of us maybe are working more than one job. And time is a luxury that we just don't have. You know, and maybe temperament is a luxury that we just don't have. And 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 homeschooling is not an option. I get that. That's understandable. If you have, you know, some choices in terms of, of schooling, uh, if there is a... Uh, there's a classical Christian school near you. I would look them up. 
I would absolutely look them up. If there is a Hillsdale Charter School near you, I would look them up. I would look up Hillsdale. Uh, they have charter schools all over the country. Uh, Waterbrook, uh, the school I run, is a Hillsdale College curriculum school. So we are, we are not a charter school. We're a private classical Christian school, but you know we have a signed license agreement with Hillsdale where we, um, you know, Hillsdale allows us to use their classical curriculum. We look at their program guide and um, we have access to it. Um, and having access to it, um, you know, we can, we could find a charter school for you. If you were in an area, um, if you were interested, the Hillsdale charter schools are free. I'm, I'm giving Hillsdale a, a free plug here. If you, uh, were, if you wanted to know how you could access a Hillsdale charter school, reach out to me. I will, um, I will be more than happy to to pull up the map, find out if there's a charter school where you're at. Um, if you are interested in homeschooling and, you know, you want to know how to go about this, uh, reach out to me. I'm, I would, I'm more than happy uh, to help you along, uh, to, to give you whatever help I can give you. Uh, Waterbrook, we, uh, we reach out to the homeschool community in our area. Uh, we we make classes available to homeschool students. Um, you know, we in whatever way we can, we want to support the homeschool community. Um, I I don't see myself as being, you know, as running a school that is in competition with with homeschoolers or with the homeschool community or with homeschool co-ops. I I don't see that at all. If you know, our our door is open. To homeschool families, you know we there are organizations uh, that are out there that you know we could help plug you into if you if you are interested uh, in exploring other options. I encourage you, you know, reach out to me. Uh, you can send me a message on Instagram, uh, the Dean's List thirty three. That is our Instagram page, uh, or shoot me an email. Dean at the Dean's list.us. I would be uh, more than happy to, you know, help you along in whatever way I can, you know, because we want our children to be a certain type of person. That's, that's what we're shooting for. To me, that is true education. There's a richness in that. And if I can help you along, to, to find a place that is going to aid you uh, in your in your own journey and and developing your your student your child into the person that, that you want them to be I want to do that I, I want that to be one of our show's missions is that you know I've said we've got two stated goals the first is to shine the light of truth on education to let people know, you know, here's where we are, here's the state of affairs. And the second mission is to shine a light of hope that there is hope, we can turn this thing around. And it involves us taking back control of our child, our children's education. Uh, the Constitution begins with we the people. We are sovereign. 
and we're still in control. That governor in Virginia a couple of years ago, you know, he made that statement that uh, that the parents. I, I'm going to paraphrase here. I don't know exact. I don't remember his exact words, but he 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 made the statement that alluded to the fact that he believed that the parents uh, weren't in control of their child's education. That parents didn't have a right to come in and see what was happening, and he lost that election. Yonkin beat him. Yonkin is his name. Yonkin beat him, and uh, it's because parents rose up. Loudoun County, that's the county in question, Loudoun County, Virginia. Parents rose up. They 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 showed up at those school boards, and um, they were like, you're wrong. Uh, we are in charge of our children's education. And as parents, we were the sovereign. And it's important that we take back control of our children's education. By taking back control of our children's education, we are dictating the future direction of the country. That is huge. By taking control of our children's education, we are dictating the future direction of this country because as a, as a generation graduates, that's what our, our political landscape is gonna look like in, in 10, 20 years. All right, let's take a break. We will pick it up on the other side. You are listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. 
Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. America Out Loud is a leading voice in the rise of the new media, and we are happy to be a part of it, and we are happy that you are on board. Uh, We're talking about the question of the day here is, uh, what type of person do you want your child to become? And I've, I've said this statement that Uh, I believe that that is true education. Education, really at the heart of the matter, is developing the student to be a certain type of person. And so I think it's important that parents ask educators, what type of person are you, you know, do you want my child to become? Because we're, you know, we're leaving our children and the trust of these individuals, unless we're homeschooling. We are leaving them in the trust of somebody else. And that's an important question. That might be the most important question. Uh, Because what type of person they become is a different form of education than how well they can do math. You know, not everybody comes out of high school with the ability to do Calc 4. You know, it's... uh, (laughs) Trust me, I, I, I'm speaking from personal experience. Uh, algebra and geometry, and then I was um, I was struggling. I was riding the struggle bus hard every day. But really, the the true question is, what type of person am I going to be when I leave that school building? Hmm. I don't know that we think about that, but that that is true education right there. And I say that we ask we ask educators, you know, what are they striving for? I just I keep going back to that plaque, 1957, where their sacred purpose at that school was to develop worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizens. That's the type of person they wanted to develop. And it's striking to me that, you know, their goal as a school wasn't to develop the the highest math scores, you know, they, you know, there wasn't any, you know, no child left behind. It was, you know, it, 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 it wasn't any of that. It was worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizens. And that worthy part is just so intriguing to me. I just, I love that language and, and, and we're missing that. I get asked this question all the time, but you know, what is classical education? So I, you know, Waterbrook is a classical Christian school. Uh, we're a Hillsdale College curriculum school. So we we tap into the Hillsdale classical curriculum. And so people will say, What is what is classical education? And really the best answer that I can give is just, you know, it's it's a quick little elevator speech, and it has to do with Pepsi-Cola, Pepsi and Coke. Those of you that are old enough to remember, back in the 80s, Pepsi-Cola had the Pepsi-Cola challenge. 
And that was a blind taste test. They would grab people on the street, put a blindfold on them, and they would have them sip, take a sip of Pepsi and then take a sip of Coke or vice versa. I don't know which one that they had first. And then they just said, you know, which do you like better? And they called it the Pepsi Cola Challenge. And, uh, you know, they were, you know, they would advertise, you know, in terms of their, uh, their marketing strategy here that nine out of 10 people were choosing Pepsi over Coke in the Pepsi Cola challenge. And Coke is like, what's going on here? This <laughs> Pepsi's kicking our hiney with this stuff. So internally in their own hierarchy, Coca-Cola replicated the Pepsi Cola challenge and they blindfolded their own people. And they were coming up with the same results. Nine out of 10 Coca-Cola employees inside the, the, the Coca-Cola machine were choosing Pepsi over Coke. And Coca-Cola was just, they were beside themselves. What are we going to do about this? We, we can't, come on, we... We have been around forever, for generations. And then, you know, Pepsi-Cola, they've not been around as long as us, and they're just kicking our tails. So Pepsi-Cola decides, you know, some, some brilliant strategist in that, in that marketing meeting said, well, we need to change our formula. We need to have a formula that's, you know, more similar to, to Pepsi. And everybody around that table was like, yeah, let's go. That's a great idea. Let's change our formula. You're a genius. You're getting a raise. So they changed their formula. And it comes out to be New Coke. That's what they branded it as, New Coke. I remember, you know, the can said New Coke on it. And everything was about New Coke. It's new. It's improved. It's It tastes better. It tastes more like Pepsi. No, they didn't say that. But it was all about New Coke. And the Coca-Cola faithful went through the roof. When they got a hold of this new Coke, they were uh, they, they were saying things like, this is horrible. What, what, you're going to spring this new Coke on us? And so now, now Coca-Cola is just, they are stepping in it. And the guy that had that brilliant idea in the marketing meeting, I don't know, maybe he lost his job. I don't know. But Coke was stepping in it. Now what do they do? They are getting their tails handed to them by, by Pepsi. And then the Coca-Cola faithful are up in arms. They feel betrayed because Coke has changed the formula. So what did Coke do? They went back to the old formula. They went back to what they used to have. But what did they call it? Do you remember what they called it? Yeah, I see you. You remember. I see your head's nodding. Yeah, you're right. They called it Coca-Cola Classic. Coca-Cola Classic. Because it's what Coke used to be. So that's, in a nutshell, that's a classical education. It's what education used to be. It's what it once was. It's an education that's rooted in Western tradition. It's rooted in morale, uh, morality. It's rooted in, in the foundational elements of, of what a Western culture wanted their, wanted their students, wanted their children to become. Back in the day, way back in the day, 
Thomas Jefferson is, uh, and we've talked about this a couple of times, that he he went through the Bible and he would cut out, you know, parts of it. And he gets a bum rap for this. A lot of, you know, anti-Jefferson people will say, oh, here's, you know, Jefferson wasn't a Christian because, you know, he hacked the Bible up. He took out the things he didn't like. Well, that's that's not really true. He didn't, it wasn't that he was taking out the things that he didn't like. He, um, in a lot of cases, he was taking out the words of Jesus because he wanted to study them. Actually, there's there's two Jefferson Bibles. Uh, the first Jefferson Bible is 1804, and he extracted things from that Bible that he wanted to put in another pamphlet, uh, uh, you know, another document because he wanted he wanted the he wanted to give it to the Indians so they could be easily converted. And his second Jefferson Bible was actually 1820. And, you know, this is the, the Bible that he wanted to really focus on the morality of Jesus. In Jefferson's own words, he says this, I should first take a general view of the moral doctrines of the most remarkable of the ancient philosophers of whose ethics we have sufficient information to make an estimate. Pythagoras, Socrates, Cicero, Seneca, Antonius. Um, so he's he's studying the ancient philosophers, the Greeks, the Romans, and he's studying their ethics, their morality. And this is, of course, part of a classical education. These guys, uh, things that they said, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, they, they, they have excellent things to say. And they wrote excellent things. And things that they've said and things that they've written are a part of the classical education. And Jefferson is studying them. And then he says, I should do justice to the branches of morality they have treated well, but point out the importance of those in which they are deficient. I should proceed to a view of the life, character, and doctrines of Jesus. His system of, of morality was the most benevolent and sublime, probably, than has ever been taught, and consequently more perfect than those of any of the ancient philosophers. So this was this was Jefferson's point. He was pulling out the words of Jesus because he was studying his, his morality, and he was comparing it to the ancients. And he was finding that you know, the morality of Christ is just is sublime. Uh, it supersedes these guys. Uh, you know, Jesus would say stuff like, um, you know, it's you, you, you've heard it said that you, you shouldn't kill, but I'm telling you, you shouldn't hate your brother in your heart. You know, Jesus said, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, don't even lust after that person. Jesus dealt with with the issue at the heart, not at the behavior or the action. And and in his writings, Jefferson says Jesus he, he hit it at the fountainhead. He dealt with the issue at the fountainhead. That's that's Jefferson's language. He went to the the heart because if we can if we can change the heart, if we can change the thinking, the attitude. 
then that's going to affect the behavior. Instead of us, you know, trying to change behavior, Jesus said, let's go to the heart of the matter. You know, we get that phrase, let's go to the heart of the matter. Let's go right to the root. Let's go to our thoughts. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? That's the that's the real debate. So Jefferson makes this, you know, this one of the quote unquote Jefferson Bibles, and he calls it the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and in it, he included 81 moral teachings of Jesus. So this is interesting. I don't know if you knew this or not. In 1895, Congress purchased Jefferson's original manuscript from his granddaughter. And then in 1902, Congress published it in order to give away to incoming senators and representatives. And they did that for 50 years. Every incoming senator and representative 1902, Congress buys the manuscript. They publish it at taxpayer expense. And they give this book for 50 years to every incoming senator and, and, and representative. The life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Because they believed so firmly in leadership that had morals. Now, I don't know that... The incoming senators and representatives read the book or studied it. Uh, I think it's interesting that that they did this for 50 years. So in 52, 1952, I think this would have stopped. My question is, why did it stop? That's my question. Why did they stop? Well, I mean, we could probably put that together. Things are beginning to uh, unravel at that point. I mean, literally. Internally, things are uh, unraveling, but th this is this is part of a classical education. It's really rooted in 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 studying morality, because that's what education used to be. Education used to be involved in developing a certain type of person. What type of person do you want your student to become? To me, that is the most important type of education that you can dive into. It's the way it used to be. Uh, it's the education that our founders wanted. And that is why, in the Northwest Ordinance, Jefferson penned that uh, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and means of education shall forever be encouraged. And, and Jefferson... The only time in that document that religion and education are mentioned, and Jefferson unites them together, and he, he makes them one. And this was the education that he wanted for American students. Because there is a particular type of person that 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 we that we should become. And it's you know, it's 1957 here in Millington, Michigan. Worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizens. That's what our founders wanted. That is really at the heart of a classical education. And that's why I say 
if you don't have the the time or the temperament to homeschool, finding a school that will uh, that that's a classical school, a classical Christian school. If you can't have a classical Christian school, by all means, a Hillsdale Charter School. They will get it done for you. But technically, Hillsdale is a public school, so they're they're not allowed to use the Bible as a textbook. It's unfortunate. I'm telling you, it's unfortunate. It's one of the worst things that that's happened to education is the fact that we don't have the Bible as a textbook any longer, just simply because of the, the morality of it. Again, Jefferson is noted as one of the least religious of the founding fathers, one of the least. Yet he took a Bible and extracted the words of Jesus, literally cut them out and pasted them on a page so he could study the morality of Christ. And in his book, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, he, he includes 81 moral teachings of Jesus. Ah, I want to get my hands on that book. I do not own a copy of this book, but I want a copy of it. I encourage all of you to buy a copy of it. Do it. If you if you buy a copy, tell me, let me know. Yeah, I'm going to buy a copy. Shoot me a message on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, the Dean's List 33, or shoot me an email. Dean at the Dean's List. That US. Um, I want to know. Are you are you going to buy a copy of this book? I uh, I'm just I'm fascinated. I'm truly fascinated by by the education that our founders wanted us to have, and the education that we're we're currently offering. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to pick it up on the other side. Thank you for joining me. This is the Dean's List. We'll see you in a minute. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order.
Welcome back to the Dean's List. We are happy that you are on board with us. Uh, several people ask me, hey, how can I how can I hear you? I heard a stat the other day that I think it's up to 70% of Americans listen to their to their shows, to their radio, you know, to their their streaming on their mobile devices, their phones, their their tablets. Uh, maybe the best way for you to listen is to download the America Out Loud app. It's a free app. Uh, it's for Apple, Android, Alexa. I've got it. I listen to all the uh, America Out Loud shows right there on my phone. I love the America Out Loud network. So that is a good way. It's a good way to listen. Uh, you can listen on uh, iHeartRadio. If you're at home or at work, just open up your your computer, your, your laptop, go to americaoutloud.news. And you can listen right there on the world-class media player. So you've got options. You've got listening options. Every weekday at 2 p.m., that's where you'll find us. Or you can find us uh, the following day on, on all the uh, streaming podcast networks, wherever you get your your uh, your podcasts, um, Spotify, Apple, Google, I mean, you name it, we're out there. So you can find us. We are... We're talking about the question, what type of person do you want your child to become? Uh, I think it's the most important question that can be asked of an educator. Uh, I, I think it's the most important question an educator can ask themselves. What type of child, what type of student are they trying to develop? And we can juxtapose where we are currently versus where um, where we used to be. And it's not a pretty picture. And, you know, we we spent some time breaking out the receipts this week. And, you know, we can see at at Waterbrook, I guess, just to, to give you a, a personal, you know, picture of things. I was um, I was speaking to a, a public school teacher a year or so ago. And she was telling me about a you know something that she witnessed firsthand. In a district not not far from from our school, uh, she sat in a kindergarten room, and she watched and listened to a to a kindergarten teacher explain to a kindergartner, you know, a five year old, four year old, five year old, explain to this little person that, you know, if 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 the boys in this room. Uh, like to play with the dolls and like to play dress up. Well, you might be part girl. And if if the girls in this room like to play with the trucks and you know like to go outside and and kick the ball and play in the dirt, well, you might be part boy. She she told me that she heard that with her own ears in just a district, you know, not not too far from me. You know, I I think a lot of us might have this idea that oh, it's probably not happening in my district. I mean, I'm in a good district. I don't know that it's happening here. It's probably happening somewhere else. You know, it's probably happening in, you know, Virginia, where, you know, Loudoun County, where all those parents were just throwing a fit. It's probably out in California. I mean, that's where it's at. It's out in California, probably. It's, you know, it's not here. And, I, you know, I, it can be anywhere. It can absolutely be anywhere. You know, as parents, 
we have to take back control of our child's education. We have to. It's a must. And we do that by asking a simple question to educators where our where our child is, you know, the classroom that they're in. What type of student do you want to uh, produce? We have to take back control, not only for the sake of our children. We have to take back control, not only for the sake of our children, but for the sake of the future of the country. Because as our children go, so go the country. So goes the country. I, I think that sounds better. Uh, I've heard it said that politics is downstream of culture. Politics is downstream of culture. You know, you can kind of see the way the culture goes, and that's how politicians are going to respond. And that's that's a true statement, I would say. But culture is downstream of education. What happens in education is what's going to affect culture. Literally everything is downstream of education. How our students are being educated is going to determine what the politics looks like in 10, 20 years, what business is going to look like in 10, 20 years, uh, what the media is going to look like in 10, 20 years, what art and entertainment is going to look like in 10, 20 years. Uh, these elements of society and culture, they're all downstream from education, all of them. You know, it's it's the term is woke. The businesses are, are woke or the media is woke or, you know, the politics is woke. Uh, something happened a few years ago. At what point did, did Disney flip? You know, when did Disney become who they are now? You know, when did the media become who they are now? When did the news media, you know, my dad watched Walter Cronkite. And Walter Cronkite was, you know, he was America's newsman. I mean, he, you know, he told it like it was. I mean, I think. But that's changed. That has changed. And, you know, what I've noticed is as that has changed, there is almost this, not a counterculture, but I don't know what you'd call it, an additional culture, something happening on the side. You know, for example, here, America Out Loud, the rise of a new media. There is new media rising up uh, almost because our country demands it. Uh, in, in the early 60s, when the Supreme Court kicked out prayer and kicked out the Bible, kicked out Christianity, I saw this stat the other day that Christian schools exploded after that. Within the next decade, there was like 35,000 new Christian schools that started because the, 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 the country demanded it. You know, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's the exact same thing. The country is demanding a new honest media, so it's rising up. The country demanded schools that were going to teach the morals and the values that parents wanted to be taught to their kids. And so these Christian schools start coming up everywhere. You know, you, you look around at arts and entertainment, you know, something like The Chosen or, you know, The Jesus Revolution or these movies that are, you know, Sound of Freedom that are starting to, to come to the surface. It's almost this, this cry of Americans that we want 
something that reflects our values. Because right now, what we're getting doesn't reflect our values. I mean, not, not even close. You know, people are responding to that call. You know, America Out Loud is part of that response. People are, people want a new media. They want, they want to hear truth. They don't want to hear the narrative. I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, you're probably listening to me because you don't want to hear just, you know, the narrative of, of what's happening out there. And we're not giving you the, the narrative. I, I'm not about giving you the narrative. I want to open up the history books and I want to see, okay, where were we? And where are we now? And how do we get here? And how do we get back? I mean, those are four genius questions I think everybody should be asking themselves. Where were we? Where are we now? How do we get here? And how do we get back? Uh, because if we can determine uh, th those things, then we'll know moving forward uh, how to how to make this thing different, how to make it better. If if we know where we were and where we are and how we got here, and then if we know how to get back. Speaking of where we were, Alexi de Tocqueville, we uh, we can't. We can't end this conversation without talking about de Tocqueville. I know you've heard the name. He's a Frenchman. He comes to America in the early 1830s. You know, he's heard about this country. He wants to check it out. And so he explores it. You know, he sticks around for a few months. He, he tours the place. He, he looks you know, at it and he starts writing about, you know, what he's observing. Matter of fact, uh, there's a quote. I don't have his quote right in front of me. I'm going to look it up. Uh, but it's where we get the phrase American exceptionalism, because he says, um, and I'm going to paraphrase the quote, uh, America is exceptional. He has toured this country and he says, you know, we are exceptional. Uh, what we have here is exceptional. And so from that is this phrase, American exceptionalism. And it's ultimately according to de Tocqueville's observations, and I believe he's right, that exceptionalism is rooted in, in a culture of morality, the foundation of Christianity, biblical Judeo-Christian values. Here's some of the things that um, de Tocqueville you know, has said, written down. Some of his observations. Each sect, and when he says sect, he's referring to denominations, denominations of Christianity. And there's a lot of us, but you know, he's he's referring to them as sects. Each sect adores the deity in its own peculiar manner, but all sects preach the same moral law in the name of God. Morality was the foundation. He says, moreover, all the sects of the United States are comprised within the great unity of Christianity. And Christian morality is everywhere the same. He says the safeguard of morality is religion, and morality is the best security of law, as well as the surest pledge of freedom. He says an ostensible respect for Christian morality and virtue, and that almost all education is entrusted to the clergy. Hmm. 
That's interesting. All education is entrusted to the clergy. Uh, well, I guess that would add to the uh, the moral foundation that 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 we were on. It's been said that uh, this work that de Tocqueville put together uh, is the most comprehensive and penetrating analysis of the relationship between character and society in America that's ever been written. An analysis between character and society. And it was, I mean, there was, I, I, I want to use the phrase, it was large, but that, that doesn't do it justice. Saying it was a lot doesn't do it justice. The society believed in character. The society believed in morality. They believed in, in being a certain way, and they, they wanted to raise their kids to, to be a certain person. That's what I'm getting at here. One other observation from de Tocqueville. I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Uh, I mean, wow. Wow. That uh, that sums it up. If America <laughs> ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. So, if our if our students are not taught to be good, if that element is removed, you know, I, I go back to my conversation with Cindy a couple of days ago um, in one of our segments where she had her eighth grade Bible class put up, you know, a good list and a, and a bad list, a light list and a, and a dark list, a list of things to get rid of and a list of things to keep. And, and both lists are in the Bible. And her observation was, if we take the Bible away, that good list disappears. The art of being good, it disappears, but the bad list sticks around. Now, the, the good list, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, when you take the Bible away, that stuff, it goes away. But the bad list, you know, the gossip, the slander, that stuff sticks around. The hate, the envy, the jealousy, that stays with us. The Tocqueville said, if we cease to be good, we'll cease to be great. So my question is, when prayer in the Bible was removed from our public schools, at that point, did we cease to be good? I mean, I think David Barton would say yes, based upon, you know, the research and the stats that that he's put together that I've posted on my Instagram page. I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't been to my Instagram page to take a look at those graphs, uh, uh, I would do it. I would I would take a look at them because when when you see the visual of where we were on the graph and where we are now, 
It is, uh, it's striking and it's alarming. My Instagram is the Dean's List 33, if you want to check that out. So, um, you know, this is, this is a, a question, you know, for you ultimately, what type of person do you, do you want your, your student to be? Because that's the education that you need to be searching for. Again, I'm going to put this out there. If you, um, if you want some help, if you are interested in homeschooling, but you don't even know where to begin, where do I begin? You know, reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to, to, to help you along on this journey. If you, uh, you know, want to find a, a classical Christian school, um, so we are part of the Association of Classical Christian Schools, Waterbrook is. Uh, I have access to, to a map, uh, to a guide of, of every classical Christian school probably in the country. At least that's a part of that association. We're also a part of the Turning Point Association of Classical Schools. Uh I want to be a resource to help you. I'm here to help you. Reach out. Send me an email, dean at the deanslist.us. Uh, we can turn this thing around together. Uh, there's hope. That's what we're here to provide is hope. Well, uh, we're, out of, we're out of time. Uh, that's all we've got uh, for now, America. And I appreciate you joining me today. Get out there and encourage your friends and family to get on the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age.